I would not wish this on my worst enemy. The pain would be just excruciating. People just think that a migraine is a really bad headache and it's, it, there's so much more to it than that. It's really nice to be able to say, is anybody else dealing with this today? Hello, my name is Dr. Larry Newman, and this is season two, episode five of Move Against Migraine. Today's topic is migraine in the workplace. In this episode, we will cover the impact migraine has on the workplace, talk about different workplace accommodations, and share tips on how to advocate for yourself. My guest today is Dr. Robert Shapiro. Welcome, Dr. Shapiro. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Thanks very much for having me. I'm a professor of neurological sciences at the University of Vermont, and I'm the uh, division chief for headache medicine there. Dr. Shapiro, we know that migraine is a disabling disease, and it can have an impact on all aspects of life. But how can migraine affect people at work specifically? So the thing about migraine is that it's not headache at all. It's not pain. It has many other symptoms and ways in which it shows itself, but it actually doesn't show itself. It's actually invisible. So employers can't detect when people actually have migraine. And it's unpredictable in when it occurs, and it's inconstant, so it changes over time. And it's very individual from person to person. So most people think about headache as being the prominent, the uh, main feature of migraine. But studies have shown that the features, the symptoms that people have which are most impairing, that most impact their ability to work, are really related to how mental effort may worsen the pain and difficulty thinking. And these are typically overlooked by employers and they change over time. So it's very difficult for people to be able to predict it and be able to uh, have accommodations for that. So Dr. Shapiro, you just talked a little bit about how migraine affects the individual patient. But can you give us an idea of the impact migraine has in the workplace as a whole? For instance, on, their, on the person's coworkers or on the company overall? Sure, so people who have migraine in the workplace need to hide it. They're forced to hide it. They're given no other option apart from hiding it. There was a study that was uh, done, uh, a survey in Britain uh, several years ago, which asked a thousand employers about whether or not different diseases would be serious enough to be absent from work. And it should come as no surprise to the listeners that only 22% of employers thought that migraine was a serious enough condition to actually not show up for work. And in that circumstance, people understand even if it's not described to them, that if they disclose it, they may be at risk of losing their job. So migraine becomes invisible. And coworkers then begin to understand migraine is not something that they can detect when it's happening. And they see it as an excuse. And ultimately, this leads to heightened stigma. So people with migraine are uh, often accused of malingering or not trying their hardest. And in actuality, most of the time, people with migraine are multitasking a disease with, with work. They're actually working two jobs, if you will. And this has an enormous uh, social impact. It turns out going to work, having a disease which impairs your ability to work, is an extraordinarily high percentage of lost productivity. As much as a quarter of U.S. productivity in the workplace is lost to this condition, which is called presenteeism. And migraine is the second leading cause of this. It may be uh, account for up to 16% in one study of all of this uh, lost work productivity. So it's a huge loss to employers, and it's a huge burden to people who have migraine. So changing the environment for employers to think about migraine in a different way is really an essential 
next piece of, of advocacy. That's interesting. So most of us think about a disease like migraine causing absenteeism. You were just talking about presenteeism. What is presenteeism? So presenteeism is going to work, but not working to full capacity because you're impaired by a disease. And it's an enormous burden. Uh, it actually uh, is the lion's share of the burden in the workplace for people with migraine. There was a, uh, a study among uh, workers at a, uh, an automobile plant in Turkey a few years ago, which indicated that 95% of the lost productivity was due to presenteeism rather than absenteeism. And as people uh, have increased numbers of days with headaches uh, per month, the burden increases the amount of lost work productivity also increases. But still, for people who have chronic migraine, 15 or more days with headaches per month in this study, they only lost three and a half days on average of work for absenteeism, whereas they lost an extraordinarily high uh, amount for presenteeism, which accounted for about 38% of their productivity was lost uh, really uh, to this, this presenteeism issue. And it's not terribly surprising, both you and I in our practices here from people with very frequent migraines that I only have so many sick days. I have to go to work. I have no choice. I, I'm going to get fired if I don't go to work. So with that said, with presenteeism being such a big issue, what type of accommodations can be made for our patients who have frequent migraines? So the ability to have flex time, teleworking, and also to be able to have the certain exposures which get uh, enhanced during migraine, so bright lights or loud noises or certain odorants in the environment, to be able to work in an environment where those are not promoting or, or enhancing migraine. And people uh, with migraine are actually entitled to certain rights. So the Americans with Disabilities Act, which applies to uh, people who are in a, an employment situation where there are 15 or more employment, uh, employees, uh, they have the right to be able to um, have significant accommodations to allow them to work more effectively in the workplace as long as it doesn't cause an undue burden on their employers. So another law uh, that applies to people with migraine is the Family and Medical Leave Act, FMLA. And what this does is it provides for people who are in a workplace where there are 50 or more employees within a 75-mile radius of the employment and who have worked for a year in that, uh, on that job, they're entitled to up to 12 weeks of unpaid but job-preserving leave. And it can be taken in bits and pieces. So if you, if you need a few hours here or a few hours there, you're entitled to be able to take that time. So these are things which um, everybody has the right to be able to, uh, to request. So those are all great pieces of advice. My question to you is, and we've heard this on prior broadcasts, People with migraine are under tremendous stigma. It's difficult at work for people to understand what they're going through. How do you start that conversation with somebody at work? How do you start that conversation with your boss, for instance? This is probably the hardest lift. This is asking people who have been forced to deny that they have a disease to come forward and acknowledge that it's there and actually ask for accommodations for it. And employers they often actually are not understanding about this. So it's, it's understandable why people don't do this and they feel that they're unable to. But until people do come forward, we won't be able to affect change for this. The other side of it is that we need to change employers. So how do we change employers? We need to educate them that 
this is a huge number of their employees who are impacted that in the dollars and cents fashion that they're losing an extraordinary amount uh, of lost productivity which could be addressed, that they can provide better uh, attention to this uh, problem for their employees and it will benefit their bottom line. And there are several different groups who are working to try to um, educate em employees. So uh, there's a Migraine at Work uh, project which uh, the National Headache Foundation and uh, Migraine Again uh, has initiated. There's the uh, Global uh, Patient Advocacy Coalition which is initiating uh, a project with the uh, corporation Fujitsu internationally to try to, to, uh, to affect this. So everybody wins by addressing this issue in the workplace. And the sooner we get to it, the better. That's so true. It, it's great that the needle is starting to move. What happens to the patient who tries to have this conversation with their employee? Who should, who should be part of their advocacy team? Should it be their healthcare practitioner? Should it be an, an, a legal counsel? Um, where do you start? What, where do you fall back to? So I think the first place to start, uh, if there's lack of understanding in the workplace, is to your healthcare provider. And healthcare providers need to be educated to be able to provide corroborative testimony, if you will, on behalf of their patients about this is where the impairments arise and this is why it needs to be taken seriously. If that doesn't work, and sometimes it doesn't, sometimes it's necessary to take uh, disability uh, leave, which is often very uh, difficult to do. There are structural um, discriminatory policies which make it hard for people to do that. And ultimately, you know, raising your voice is an important thing to do. And getting involved and engaged in public advocacy is a necessity, I think. It's a tricky issue. You and I have no problem advocating for our patients. We do it all the time. We write letters. I, and I'm sure you have also, I've called human resources and advocated for my patient. What happens to the patient whose doctor is not willing to advocate for them? I don't have a great answer for this. This is the quandary that so many of our patients have. And until and unless we raise awareness and we actually uh, overcome some of what are called structural stigma, policies. So <clears throat> areas where these discriminatory attitudes have made their way into public policy, into insurance uh, policy, uh, it's going to be difficult for us to expect uh, people who are disabled by migraine to actually receive the, the care and the adjustments which will make them whole. So in a perfect world, how do you envision headache in the workplace going? So in, the, in a perfect world, uh, I would imagine that, first of all, we have much better ways to manage the attacks of migraine when they occur, so medicine will catch up to this problem. But in the setting where that's not possible, that it will be possible for people to uh, effectively walk through the rain without getting wet. So they'll find the ways to have those accommodations uh, be effective and allow them to work productively and effectively and, and with full respect uh, for the fact that they happen to have this particular disabling condition. Thank you for those very useful tips, Dr. Shapiro. Season two of Move Against Migraine, a podcast by the American Migraine Foundation, is made possible by our generous sponsors, Amgen and Teva.